It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. As often happens on the show, I've been having a wonderful pre-recording conversation with today's guest named Jen. And I've also been saving something to discuss with her and share with the listener because I felt like it'd be a fun thing to do in real time. About an hour ago, I took Jen's quiz on her website, and this is what it says. You're taking the quiz. It's meant to be fun and playful, but now the real fun begins when you're creating a relationship with your future self because she has so much wisdom to share with you. And Betty here is holding a mug maybe of tea, but if it were me, if it were my 80-year-old self, I imagine I'll still be drinking lots of coffee at that period of my life. She's got a nice smile and very like warm-hearted, joyful, accepting, loving eyes. That's what I noticed. So I was very excited for that to be my result. And I'm curious for you to elaborate to share more with me about who this Betty woman is and how you developed her. Yes, I love 80 year old women. I love stories of women in their 80s and 90s writing their first books and going skiing and all of that. So when I sat down to my quiz, I thought of much like archetypes, I thought of who would these four personas be? I could have done more. And I'm like, no, we're going to stick with the four. So Betty is the warm and cozy grandma, and she just exudes nurturing energy. But She never sacrifices herself for the sake of her family. That's like the key here. She is driven by being there for her family, being this warm, compassionate, safe person for others. But again, never at the sake of losing herself. She carries peppermints in her pocket. And I think of my grandmother who in church would give me a half a stick of double mint gum. She'd tear it in half. And (laughs) and Betty's like baking pies and cookies. And she's just the quintessential grandmother. You just want to rub her rosy cheeks. That sounds like something great to aspire to. I also want to hear about the other three women because those that are listening may align with that, although I encourage them to take the quiz. So as usual, there'll be a link in the description to Jen's website, as well as in the show notes, any resources we talk about today will be at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I was excited about Betty because she reminds me of at least one of my grandmothers who passed away in 2012. So it's over 10 years ago now. And she was that warm, fuzzy person. She was so nurturing. That's a great word for her. I was actually looking at a picture of her just a few days ago. I hadn't looked at her in a while. I remembered the way her body felt and the way she smelled. I was like transported back in time to that lovely woman that she was. And I just felt like she was always caring for me. And she was someone that would always have candies around. She was very food centered. She was extremely concerned when I became vegan because she didn't know what to feed me. (laughs) Every time I went over to her house, 
she would panic like, what are you going to eat while you're here? She wanted to take care of me that badly. And I was like, I'm okay. I can bring my own food. But I think I would like to be that caring person. My other grandmother, I don't know if she fully was emotionally or mentally able to be that present. Although in the short time we had together, I do remember feeling deeply accepted by her. She was one of the first people I talked about sex with, for example, like being able to talk to my grandmother about sex, which was in your quiz, by the way. I love that you added the sexual dynamic of our lives into thinking about our future. But I remember being able to talk about like kind of this taboo subject as a kid with my grandma and feel like I could ask her anything. And that was really important to me too. I would like to be that way for my whole life, especially for my 80-year-old self. Yeah. And I think that's really what the quiz is meant to do in a very fun, lighthearted way is is not that you're going to be exactly like Betty. You're going to be like you are at 80, but it's the energy. What energy do we want to bring into our here and now? If we look forward, let's say, well, you got Betty, I get Edna, but I'm actually a spoiler alert, a blend of all four. But it's, am I living life in a way that my inner Edna, who is feisty and fabulous, is she going to be happy? Is my 80-year-old self going to be happy with the decisions and how I'm feeling today? And if not, it's just data. It's not good, bad, right, or wrong, but it gives us something to start looking at and peeling back the layers on. That's so helpful. And I think people love taking quizzes and having frameworks for life and also being reminded that it doesn't have to be rigid and perfect. And even when you're answering the questions, this is not like an absolutely perfect assessment, but just knowing it's giving you guidance and some clarity. So we've learned about Betty and Edna. Who are the two other types of 80-year-old women? There's Dorothy, who's the life of the party. She's the one getting in trouble at the nursing home. She is has almost been kicked out a few times. She loves telling inappropriate jokes, making people laugh. Like I said, she's the life of the party. And then we have Gigi, who is the hip viral granny. And she's viral on TikTok and the kids love hanging with her. She knows what the acronyms mean, which I don't know what all the acronyms my kids use. So Gigi's got one up on me. But like I said, I really identify with all four of them. And that's why when you take the quiz and see the results, you can actually click into the other ones. Because I think we're probably all a blend of them. And what if you are not a woman, you don't identify as a woman, is there, is it accessible to other gender or non-binary people that might want to take this quiz and get some guidance? Yeah, it is very women-centric. So I would say, yeah, very women-centric. And that's important to clarify too with your work. What is it about 80-year-old women that has been such a, a big part of the work that you do? How did you even end up focusing on that? Yeah. So this is where we get into a bit of my sad story. I'll just touch on it briefly here unless you want to go deeper. But there, I think of it as pre-2015 me and post-2015 me. I had something happen in 2015 that just really, actually two things back to back that really rocked my world. And who I had been pre-2015, I was actually fairly bitter, resentful, ungrateful. I found ways to kind of escape my day-to-day life unhealthy ways. I put my family at financial risk so that I could go be really, really selfish. I didn't like myself. There was a lot of self-loathing. And so I would lie in bed at night and I would literally worry about my 80-year-old self being this bitter, resentful woman who, when she died, like no one would show up at the funeral and my family would be so embarrassed. Like that's how real it was to me. Not to be dramatic, but that was a fear of mine. But I also, I'd had enough glimpses of this other Jen who was vibrant and lively and 
felt connection and love and people gravitated towards her, what have you. So in 2015, when my world was kind of rocked, I was left with a choice. Do I continue the path I'm going down, which is this bitter, old, resentful woman? Or do I do the work to become more that vision that I made a decision in? I don't know how I made the decision, but it was like, no, I'm going to be the Edna and the Dorothy and the Betty and the Gigi who are living and loving their life. And they're excited to learn and grow even in their 80s. That is such a cool thing to think about because I have to admit, I don't think I've ever done an exercise quite at that depth. I remember at one I don't know if conference is the right term. Like I went to a a several day long workshop and we did an exercise and we imagined ourselves at different stages of life, past, present and future. And that was really neat. But I actually remember I was thinking about my grandfather, the one that my the first grandma I mentioned was married to. He might have passed away like a year or two beforehand. And it was really like raw for me losing him. And he was someone that I felt so comfortable with. And I just cherished him. And I kept thinking of him. I wasn't thinking of myself in an older age. I was thinking of what he was like. And so it's kind of interesting, like where our minds go when we think about the future and who we're going to be and who we want to be like. Yeah. So often those future self-exercises will have you go, let's say, three to five years in the future. And for me personally, I have a very hard time visualizing that. I'm like, well, I'll be me just five or six years older, right? I'll have the same career, blah, blah, blah. But 80, like you're winding down your life. Most people in their 80s aren't working any longer. So how are you spending your day? Who are you spending it with? How are you still engaging your mind? That was a vision that was very, very clear to me. That's so beautiful. I'm curious to hear more about like what that experience was like for you. I mean, I I see now the the four different versions of yourself and the combination. Mm -hmm. Was that what you saw? And did that person have a name (laughs) before you separated out into three different women? Or what was that like? No, it didn't have a name other than my own. When I imagined, again, this vibrant version of myself, she was wearing a lot of color. And of course, I'm wearing black and white today. But I have started incorporating more color into my wardrobe. I recently bought, oh, six months ago, fuchsia Doc Martin boots because my 80-year-old self, she is absolutely wearing those boots. And I was like, darn it, 53-year-old Jen is going to wear those boots too. And they're going to last the 30 years <laughs> until my 80-year-old self or you do the math. But it's just, that's how I use her today is helping kind of this compass that orients me to, am I living in a way that makes her a reality for me? But very colorful, very vibrant, still cracking inappropriate jokes, still laughing hilariously at the stupidest things and just surrounded with people who she loves deeply and love her deeply. It kind of sounds like when you're sharing this, that it almost goes against the grain of what society believes 80-year-old women are supposed to be. Is that how you felt too? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I'm almost 53. I'm loving the aging process. I was talking with a girlfriend this weekend. The skin on my body is starting to change and that freaks a lot of women out. It really does. I'm fascinated. I'm like, what else is... (laughs) That sounds so weird. But I'm just like, what else is my body going to do? When are my knees going to be super droopy? I started going gray in my 30s and I stopped dyeing my hair when I was 40. Just embracing the aging and this 
like life isn't done. I'm 53. I have decades in front of me and I'm going to grow old powerfully and gratefully. I'm not going to go off and I'm not going to be invisible. I refuse. There's a woman, I can't remember her name, but she wrote a book when she was 80 called Cat Brushing. And it tells stories of women in their twilight years and their eroticism and pleasure and their sex lives. I'm like, yes, why not? That question, why not, is is a great one. And why is one of my favorite words. Me too. (laughs) It makes sense. You and I have so much in, in common, as I learned just talking with you for 45 minutes before we started recording. And it, it's so wonderful when you have someone you can relate to and is on the same page, especially when it comes to something that feels a bit unconventional. You know, <laughs> you and I are both have been self-diagnosed as neurodivergent. We've been exploring that in our lives. We both explored it, quote, later on in our lives. It wasn't something we discovered in our youth. And as we are discussing around that, sometimes you have to really understand yourself so that you're not stuck in that comparison trap, the shame, the I'm not good enough or I don't fit in. And to me, having this realization about how my brain works differently has been so empowering. And I'm able to say, it's okay that I'm different. It's okay that I think different. And it's okay that I I like to ask the question why and that irritates people. It's okay if I want to not dye my hair, actually. I'm glad you said that, Jen, because my hair started going gray more intensely in 2020. So perfect timing with everything going on in the world and stress. And I have spent the last three years really contemplating it because I don't want to dye my hair. That's the truth. I feel like there's a societal pressure as a woman to dye your hair. And it's so commonplace. It feels uncomfortable for me to be around other people sometimes because I'm wondering, like, what are they thinking about the gray hair? And I'm kind of curious what your experience has been like since you decided not to dye your hair. Like, what was that journey like? Yeah, I used to be called the silver fox. That was in my 40s. (laughs) But it's something that coworkers and some friends and because I just, I would get a lot of compliments on it, which would help, right? Because it's to go from dyeing your hair and covering the gray to just like, no, I'm done with that. Yeah, there's some trepidation and, you know, who am I to do this and what will people think? But I just got such positive responses. And I had, you know, I'd have men and women come up to me, tell me how gorgeous my hair was. I've had women thank me for being an example. Gray doesn't necessarily look great on everyone. And so I always say it's someone's choice, whatever they're comfortable with it. But it hurts my heart when I see on Facebook someone saying, oh, I'm going to color my hair till I'm 98. It's like, you do you. That is totally fine. But if you're doing it because you feel like you're somehow less than because you have gray hair, that's what makes me sad. That's how I feel as well. And and I think that's where it becomes confusing because, I mean, currently I have those fears. They're still within me. So I think part of the sadness is I'm sad for myself because when I am thinking about future self and doing that exercise, going through your quiz of thinking about what will I be like at 80 and what am I going to look back on? What am I going to wish I had done and not done? A lot of that centered around my physicality and the concerns I've carried with me throughout so much of my life, worrying about what I look like and how other people perceive me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder with your work, is it common for that to kind of be a regret, like that women spend so much time worried about how they look to others? Absolutely. I've heard that from many clients, not all of them, but from many. It's tough being a woman. It, 
absolutely is tough. The messages we receive from a very early age, I'm sure it's hard. I'm sure guys too have a number, like we all have our hardships, but I can only speak to my experience. And I weigh more than I would like to right now than what's comfortable for me. And it's not about the weight. It's about how my body feels. And right now my body feels stiff, right? And so that's when I think about my 80 year old self, I have this vision that if she wants to, she's jumping out of an airplane, like she is just full of vim and vigor, right? I need to be doing the work now and I'm not doing it to help my body age. So that's my personal journey right now is doing the work around why am I preventing myself from doing something that I really badly want? I don't have answers for that, but that is the work. That is the work. And I'm right there with (laughs) you. It's another thing we have in common because I made the decision about a month ago to make some shifts to the way I've been eating because just like you said it, it wasn't about the number, the how much I weigh. It's that I felt physically uncomfortable. I still do. It's I imagine it's going to be a long journey. And I was resistant to it for a while because I thought that I was just wanting to change my body because of the external. But the more work I did on the internal, I realized I don't feel great. And every day I feel physically uncomfortable in the way my body is right now. And so it's worth making changes to my the way that I'm eating and the way that I'm moving and the way that I'm sleeping, like everything. And it actually started to become very empowering versus limiting. Whereas in the past, I might diet and do like crazy things to try to lose weight. And that felt restrictive. Now I've shifted that to how empowering it is to make all of these little shifts, like drinking more water. I'm drinking so much water every day. I'm prioritizing how much I sleep in a way I've I don't think I've ever done so consistently reducing stress, like every factor, including food has been shifted and I'm recognizing it's going to take a while. And I think that was a shift too. We live in a time that rushes through things so fast and your work, Jen, like what is the rush all about? Does an 80 year old look back and say, why did I rush so much? Why was I trying to fill up my schedule and be so busy all the time? Yeah, I'm going to take that back to women in midlife. I don't know your age. Like I said, I'm almost 53. But you reach this point in time where the kids are getting older, they're less dependent on you. You're at a point in your career where you're like, I don't know if I have another 10 years in me. You reach this point in time where you question, like, who am I really? How do I want the rest of my life to be? It's this very introspective time period that not all, but often you hear middle-aged women going through and that going back to rushing, it's that, why have I done everything right? And I still feel unfulfilled, discontent. Like I climbed the ladder. I did all the things. I rushed my way through to maximize my life. And I just feel burnt out and disenfranchised. That point comes up so much on this podcast. When I first started this show, with my former co-host, we addressed that so much because both of us had experienced going after things, climbing the ladder, hustling, all this stuff, which I never liked. That burns me out to no end. And I was so grateful when I gave myself permission to not try to hustle every single day. Like I don't want to hustle at all, to be honest, because I also realized in addition to be burnt out, the results of all of that work and the quick pace were not really worth it. And more and more, I realized I actually like a slower pace. 
I want to enjoy every day. I don't want to rush towards 80. I want to savor every age that I am. I don't want to rush my first cup of coffee. Like that is sacred gen time. <laughs> and I'm just, my all the senses are invoked. And I like to think that life is made up in the minutiae. And if we can make our mundane day-to-day as joyful, as supportive, as nurturing, as wonderful as we can, like imagine how the world would be if more people were less about the hustle and more about the being intentional with how they feel, how they interact with others. I was in Target the other day and I've been guilty of this too. Like people on their phone, everyone is on their phone and I'm not here to be like, stop using the phone because I do it too. But the little kids that are trying to get their mom's attention and the mom is just scrolling, scrolling. And I'm like, you're missing this connection time. But maybe the, you know, I'm not here to judge. Maybe the mother needed that moment. I don't know her story, but it's just, you see it all around you. And it's like, just slow down and savor. Relative to when this episode comes out in early March, I put out an episode of this idea around distraction and focus and how a lot of us feel like we need to focus more and we take it in. We feel like it's our full responsibility. But part of what I think you're getting at is there's also the world around us. And when the world around us is distracted, unfocused, rushing through everything, it's really hard to break away from that and do it differently because so much of our lives are interconnected with other people. And so if that person you're relying on, you're dependent on, you're collaborating with, you want to be with, if they're distracted, unfocused and rushing everything, how can you really slow down? Yeah. Even like as a kid, a helpless little child, like what are they to do? They just have to accept that their parents are acting that way. Yeah. I think I have a unique parenting perspective and that I became a mom at 20. And the last time I gave birth was 34. And so I was a very young mom. And then I was a slightly, what what do they call that? Elder geriatric or whatever. (laughs) It was 34 people. (laughs) But I've seen the full gamut raising my kids with parents and I just lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Maybe it was related to being a distracted parent. You had mentioned uh, being on the phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So parents, I would observe these parents who would have their children in all different activities. And again, it's not to judge, but often these children would be very burnt out. They would be very on an emotional roller coaster, couldn't regulate their emotions, very needy, just you could tell they weren't happy. And the parents thought they were doing the right thing by having giving their kids what all the other kids were having, just do, 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 do. And by the time you get into high school, often, not everyone, but kids will, they'll stop doing the thing that was so important to their parents. They're just like, I can't do it anymore. I've lost the love. It, you know what I mean? And we decided not to do that route with my daughter, my youngest one. And were there times where she wanted to be involved? And we, we, we let her be in a few things, but she wasn't scheduled all day, every day. She wasn't an exhausted child. We gave her time to be a kid and really let her tell us what she was interested in and put her in those activities, but with limits. I'm not a parent, but I think that that sounds absolutely wonderful. I mean, parenting sounds so complicated and there's no right or wrong way to do it. Despite all the advice out there, everyone parents a little bit differently, but that sounds really like an incredible gift because it allows the child choice. And I think it seems like from what I've observed and also researched around parenting that 
the more recent generations of parents have been a little bit more a helicopter. They want to provide everything, don't want their children to have any disadvantages or struggles at all, if they can. I guess it really depends on a lot of privilege too, but in circumstances involved. But it seems like as a whole that children have been overscheduled. And I wonder, is that going to lead to that younger generation continuing to be overscheduled or are they going to go the opposite and say, no, like I want to have a life that swing in that opposite direction. Maybe it'll actually be beneficial for our society to have a generation, if it turned out that way, that wasn't glorifying busyness anymore. I think that'd be lovely. (laughs) Absolutely. One of my, a hill I'm willing to die on, if you will, is I think it's actually quite selfish to not put yourself first sometimes, to not get your needs met, to show up as this burnt out, overworked, overscheduled, chaotic person because our younger generations are watching us. I think it's our moral responsibility to say, no, this ends. I'm going to model a more healthy, emotionally healthy way to be. And that might be an unpopular opinion, but like I said, it's a hill I'm willing to die on or stand on. I shouldn't say die on. It's a hill I'm willing to stake my flag in the ground. I think that's a really good hill because the things that we are desiring, someone else must desire too. So even if it's unconventional, perhaps being that role model, just like the gray hair side of things, I, I going back to that, I get so excited when I see women that have gray hair, truly, because I haven't seen a lot or haven't noticed until they started to come in more frequently for me. Before, I guess it would just kind of wash over me. I might notice a little bit. But in the last three years, I'm like desperate to see other women who haven't dyed their hair. You know, like I want to see women of all ages with gray hair. And actually, there's a trend now of people dyeing their hair silver, even when their hair isn't naturally gray. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, great. That's fine, too. (laughs) You can't really see it, but I've been washing my hair with this pink shampoo. Like, I want pink hair. My 80-year-old self will absolutely have pink hair. <laughs> and it's just the color is not depositing on my hair right now. But going back to, like, we each get to decide what we're comfortable with. I think my message is do what you want to do, not what others want you to do. And I get that it's easier said than done. I totally get that. But the more you can practice that, the easier it becomes. Yes, I think that does require so much of that inner work to even figure out what your boundaries are and what feels good versus what we've been conditioned to believe feels good. Even going back to the sexuality side of it, like these myths that we hear about sexuality and different stages of life. I had a guest on the show. Her name is Susan. That is a wonderful example for anyone who wants to learn more about sex in all different ages, especially I think she covers midlife and older. And she was such a cool woman. I just remember how she felt so sexually liberated and empowered and just like was able to just show up and model that. And I felt like that's so great because I don't see a lot of women even talking about sex that are older than me, I guess like maybe 20, 30 years older than me. And I would love to hear women of all ages or people of all ages, not just women, but but it to feel like it's not taboo and it's okay and it's natural and it's the human body. And That also leads me back to the limitation side of it. I'm curious about your thoughts, Jen, on why you think there's so many cultural 
like stigmatism or taboos or limitations that we place on age? Like why is aging seen as something awful and something that you should try everything to avoid even though you can't actually avoid it? That is such a great question. And I think about what comes up for me is we as a culture are so afraid of dying. It's something to be avoided at all costs. Maybe in New Orleans, they have their celebratory processions for the dead. But as a whole, celebrate death, that that sounds really weird. I get that. But hopefully you know what I mean. And it brings me back to two years ago, my mom got the news actually right around this time that she had about three weeks left to live. So I put everything on hold and rushed to the nursing home to be with her in, in her final days. And it was such a beautiful and brutal experience to go through. So the word that I came up with was brutal. (laughs) I was so honored to be there for her passing and to reminisce with her and try to make her comfortable and try to let her know how much she was loved. Even though we had a very difficult relationship for most of my life, she was a scared human being who gotten the word that she was dying. And my role became nurturing her and not vice versa. I wish more people had that experience because, again, it it was hard as hell. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was so beautiful to witness this person ending life. That just got really dark fast. Going back to aging, we fear death, and aging means we're getting closer and closer to that time. I think what you just shared about your mother is so beautiful and important, and I'm curious if you're comfortable talking about that a little bit more. I For sure. I would love to know, did she share anything with you at that time in her life that shifted your perspective on what it's like to get old and die? My mom was such an interesting person. Admittedly, she was not a good mother. Like she would say that too. (laughs) So I'm not like breaking her confidence or anything, but she was such an interesting person. She owned a plant store. She loved books, but she owned a plant store when I was like eight years old. And then we moved to my small town and she was a hardware store clerk. Then she was a clerk at the post office. And then, which was very male-dominated in that day and age, especially in a small town, but she worked her way into postmaster. So she retired from being a postmaster in her late 50s, early 60s. And then she became a pastor of not one, but two churches. And then in her late 60s, retiring to the mountains of Ecuador. And this is a woman who was abandoned by her dad when she was three, married like was with my very mentally ill and also abusive, my dad, so her husband. So she had years of that. She was bit by a brown recluse spider in her 40s, which shut down her pancreas, which gave her type 1 diabetes, and then all the complications that came from that, and then having to be on dialysis the last three years of her life. What I love about this story is that she had such perseverance, such resilience. Her life was pretty hard, but she never stopped finding like looking for her happiness. And she finally found it in the mountains of Ecuador. She finally found her people to connect with and just live this, even if it was only five years, just was able to live this wonderful life in those five years. Sorry, it gets me a little emotional, (laughs) but I just love that story. It's like, you're never too old. It's never too late, but you do kind of need to get going. Thank you for sharing that with me and the listener, because it's so touching and inspiring and complicated too. Like you said, brutal. Brutal, yeah. I think that word brutal. She had a rough, rough life, but she never gave up. Even up to the end of dying as gracefully as she could, going out in in her way. (laughs) What was 
that those final time like if you feel okay sharing that? Yeah, I'm absolutely comfortable sharing with it. Thanks for checking in on that. But now I've heard that story. But she was so stubborn that she refused hospice until the day before she died. So she could have been made more comfortable, but she refused hospice. And that was just like her being her stubborn, independent, it's my way. (laughs) Cut your nose off to spite your face. (laughs) She didn't accept that she was dying until the very, very end. And then once you could almost see the acceptance come over her and her demeanor. And it was then she turned to she wanted Welsh hymns being played as she was in her final hours and being surrounded having pictures of grandkids and family on the wall so she could look at them. And yeah, I'm so honored again that I was able to be there. I wasn't there when she passed, but I was able to be there for most of those three weeks. And that is such a gift. Like, to just witness someone at that time that that's truly like our most vulnerable time of our whole lives. And just going through wrapping up a life, a life coming to an end. And I'm sure this is a hard subject for folks listening in. So make sure you take care of yourself. And yeah, if it's hard, show yourself some love. Thank you for that too. And that's such an interesting element of doing a podcast like this, because, you know, it, it's called this might get uncomfortable because for some people it's uncomfortable to talk about these things. Some some people it's not. Some people want to learn about it. Some people don't. Like everybody's got a different relationship with the hardships of life, especially death, whether it's your death or somebody else's. And I'm wondering if that is part of the reason why you chose 80, because we never know what age will be. But 80 is one of those ages where like it's getting towards the end of your life. Like you said, you're wrapping things up, but there's still so much life within you if you're in good health. You might have 20 years left. I mean, you don't know. You could live to 100. You could live to 106. You literally don't know. So why would you sit back and be like, oh, I'm done? Just biding my time now. I'm curious about that too. So the former co-host of the show, Jason, he had a television show called How to Live to 100. And his work for a while was around longevity. And I remember when his show came out in 2000, I think it was 2013, that some people online were complaining about the show. And they were saying, well, I don't want to live to 100. Who wants to live to 100? It sounds awful. And I was so shocked at that response. Like, why are some people not interested in living that long? Is it because life already feels really hard? Is it because they associate old age, like 100, with misery? Yeah, I mean... Is this something that you learn about in your work? Like, what is this fear? It's not just the fear of getting older. It's the fear of, like, the experience of being old, I think. Yeah, yeah. When you ask that question, it makes me think of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. I think someone with a fixed mindset, I'll take my mother-in-law, for example, the world conspires against her. She's been old since she was 48. When I first met her, maybe she was 52. Her thoughts and beliefs are very, very fixed. So I think someone who is in that fixed mindset, they're going to gravitate towards, well, that sounds awful to be old and 100 years old. Like, I'm just going to sit in my chair and time's just going to pass me by versus the growth mindset of, no, I want to learn and grow. I'm not done experimenting. I'm not done living. I'm not done experiencing all that I want to experience. And I think for me, like I said, I'm loving the aging process. Do I want my 80s to be tomorrow? No, but I'm also not going to be afraid of it. (laughs) 
Oh, I like that phrasing. I think I, I'm in, on the same track. And I also wanted to go back to what you were saying earlier about savoring the coffee. I love my morning coffee. It, it's something that can feel hard sometimes where I could just brew it up real quick. I mean, I go all out with my morning coffee. I have the luxury of A, having a lot of time, perhaps because I'm not a parent. It's just me to take care of and my dog. And I also have all this equipment I've bought. Like it's just a little side passion of mine. And so the process of actually having a very detailed coffee making process, I guess, uh, the process of the process, that slows me down because I can't rush it with my equipment. Like I have a number of tools. If I really needed to rush it, I could do some things in advance or I could use my less exciting coffee equipment. But like my day-to-day coffee equipment takes so much intention. It takes 15 minutes to warm up. And so I have to count that in like, okay, I wake up, I turn on my coffee machine. I have my 15 minutes of pre-coffee making. Oh, I love that. I brew it up and like I have just gone and learned all these different coffee techniques and it takes extra time to apply them. So the intricate details, I have this one tool for any coffee geeks out there. It's called a WDT tool, I think. And it's these little pins that you basically like press in the espresso machine to make sure there are no clumps in your coffee. And it's one of my favorite things to do because I'm like just staring at this ground coffee and like pricking it through and it takes focus, right? Yeah, that would be so satisfying too to find a clump and break it up. Yes, it's extremely (laughs) satisfying. It also completely changed the result too is well worth it. Like all these little things I learned made my coffee taste better, but they slowed me down so that it wasn't just like pressing a button and brewing the coffee and drinking it. Like I have to slow down to make it. But the trick is then slowing down to savor all my hard work. And for some reason, that still feels tricky. I have this beautiful, intentional cup of coffee. And yet some mornings, I don't even remember drinking it. Next thing I know, cup's empty. And I'm thinking, where did that go? Where'd it go? Well, I think of time is a privilege and a luxury. And I think of, let's say, a single mom who is working at least two jobs to make ends meet and has to do the daycare run and all of those things. She might not have the time to savor the coffee in the morning like you and I do, but that doesn't mean she can't wake up in the morning and before she gets out of bed, say, how do I want to feel today? What energy do I want to bring into my day? And take little pauses throughout the day and be like, checking in, okay, do I need to shift my energy a bit, right? So I don't want to gloss over that time, like I said, is very much a luxury and privilege. But if you have the time, which a lot of us do, if we're being honest with ourselves, do the work. (laughs) Yes. And that's an interesting and helpful thing for me too, Jen, because I recently, inadvertently, I don't know why this started happening, probably in the past week. I started doing that at night right before I went to sleep. And I would think like, oh, how was today? And part of me felt like I wish I was doing this in the morning (laughs) because otherwise sometimes I review the day and I'm like, oh, if it wasn't like the day I wanted, I go to bed feeling a little on edge. Yeah. The day gets away from us. Yeah, it really can. But maybe that intention and I could turn this into my coffee routine. Exactly. Is like maybe while I'm poking around the lumps in my ground coffee, I could be thinking like, what do I want this day to be like? 
How do I want to feel? How do I want to show up? And that only takes a few seconds to ask yourself those questions. You could be thinking about them for hours, but just the intention of asking yourself, I think, is really wise. Yeah. And if you have like a particularly sticky conversation or a presentation, you're maybe not super confident in yet, right? It's like that pre-casting of what energy am I going to step into when it comes time, right? So maybe I don't feel confident now, but what do I need to tell myself so that I kind of bolster myself up? If I have a sticky conversation I need to have, I can't control the other person, but I can control my energy that I bring. How am I going to show up and not get activated by what the other person does? I'm going to show up and be my calm, my centered, my grounded self regardless of how they energy they bring to the conversation. One thing that comes up as you're sharing that is perhaps using a, a little bit of a, I don't know if mantra is the right word for this, but growing up, I remember there are these bracelets you could get that said like WWJD, I think was it, what would Jesus do? Do you remember that? Do they still make those? Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a big phase and they were like all over and what if you took your quiz and you found out your quiz result and instead of what would Jesus do, it's, I mean, it could be that if you're religious or yes, a believer is a great term for that. But there's also the shift or the addition of what would your 80-year-old self did? Like for me, with my result of Betty, I could ask myself, what would Betty do today? What would Betty do in this situation? That's exactly the relationship I've personally developed. And I get that it sounds a little out there, but it's literally, I think of my 80-year-old self. And it's like when I have a big decision, when there's something that I don't want to do, but I have to do, I channel my inner 80-year-old self. And it's like, okay, how do I make her as happy and vibrant and alive and joyful as I possibly can? And that's where I said, adding color into my wardrobe, because when I asked her, she just kind of said that to me of like, Jen wear more color. Like she was very adamant. And I know that sounds weird. Voices in your head, but it is what it is. <laughs> I'll just go with it. So I have bright yellow tops. I just bought a vintage hot pink embroidered robe that I'm going to use for a photo shoot coming up. And I'm having fun finding different ways to add color. Even though, like I said, I do have black and white on today. I, the humor does not escape me. Although it is in your glasses. Your glasses are a beautiful shape. Yes, yes. My red glasses. Yes. I like pops of color because I'm very drawn to black. Like I just bought this black shirt yesterday and it's like my probably fifth black t-shirt. I would wear black t-shirts every day. Maybe I will. Like for me, <laughs> sometimes it's a little bit of both. It's like giving myself permission to wear a color I, I really enjoy, but also a color maybe like getting a little outside of my comfort zone and wearing a pop of color, a necklace or something even shoes, socks. Socks can be really fun to get in some color. At first, wearing a yellow top felt very, very uncomfortable. I was like, oh, everyone's looking at me. I feel so dumb. Da, da, da. And now I'm just like, no, nope, I'm wearing it. I, I feel good in it. I love the bright pop of color. And nothing is wrong with black. I love black. It will always be a part of my wardrobe. But like you said, it's those pops of color, a scarf, the glasses, pair of shoes. Um, sometimes it is the bright yellow sweater that kind of hurts your eyes. <laughs> and it's such a great conversation piece too. I think we might lose sight of something like that because we get concerned about the judgment. But what if it's the opposite? If I were meeting you, I could comment on your glasses because they stand out and they're interesting. I usually don't like to draw attention to myself in that way. But what if instead of thinking about drawing attention or being judged, 
I shifted my mentality to, hey, this gives us something to talk about. And it could just be one little thing. You know, some people will talk about my headphones, which are kind of orangey pink. And it's like, I love these headphones. They're my little pop of color every time I record. I'm not even trying for it to be that. But they also allow people to ask me about something and for us to like break through some small talk and learn something about each other. And I think of permission, not that that's what I'm setting out to do, but I think it's a byproduct. So I'm a heavier middle-aged white woman with, I call it my zebra hair because there's a lot of like brown and black in it too, and white and silver. And you know, so it's my zebra hair who has the pop of color and the funky shoes. It's like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it too. And so people are looking for permission to go against the grain a little bit or to be more of themselves of who they envision themselves to be. And hey, if I can be that for someone, I love that. Because I certainly have my people that I look to. I'm like, oh, I wish I could dress as funky as you do, but I could never do that. I'm like, oh, maybe I could. (laughs) And you're doing such a great job of that because I feel that way having talked to you today. Like I said, the gray hair thing is a big one for me. But the way that you have talked about these things has just gotten my mind rolling. Like I want to think more about my 80 year old self. I want to think more about how I wear color, all of these little exercises, or like you said, giving ourselves permission because somebody else has done it in such a confident way. And you show up with a natural confidence and approachability and just you feel that genuineness that I crave for in other people. So Jenna, it's been so great talking with you. Yeah, I loved our conversation, the pre-conversation, the recording. I loved it all. You're a wonderful host. Oh, I don't, you know what? You also, I, I could feel that in your email communication too, which is rare. I mentioned this to you already, but I'll say it again for other people, like thinking about all the little moments, the opportunities we have to show up as our fullest selves and be genuine and connect with others because that can make other people feel so good and have that ripple effect that we've mentioned today. And it's sometimes a hard exercise because a lot of life seems to be about putting people into boxes and conforming. But as you mentioned, I think most of us don't really want to do that. (laughs) And you're reminding everyone today that there are different paths we can choose now as well as in the future. Absolutely. I think that's the core of it, right? Is your life doesn't end when you're 50 or 40 or what have you. Your life doesn't, it doesn't end till it ends. It really doesn't. And just what are you excited to learn about in your life? And then go do that. Yeah, it ain't over till it's over. (laughs) Yeah, be the person you want to be. It might take some work to get yourself there, but it is so, so worth it. I couldn't agree more. And you have such a wonderful starting place for somebody that's enjoyed this conversation and they want to tap into their 80-year-old self. I love the quiz. I'm not usually a big quiz taker, but when I went to your website, I was like, I want to take this. I'm curious about this. And it was a really delightful experience that led me to your newsletter. I also love how your follow-up email says in the subject line something about like, I want to hear from you. Yeah. Right? Like that was so cool. I genuinely do. I love connecting with people. For someone who is lonely, like had heartbreaking loneliness to 45, I'm like, I love connecting with people. And I think other people want to connect too. And they sometimes need someone to say, say it first, like you did with your email. My company (laughs) is called Socially Awkward since 1970 for a reason. Like, 
I will do the thing that everyone wants to do, and but they're like, oh, I could never have that. Like, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> That's an amazing quality. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm very drawn to, to people like you because I'm someone that sometimes I'm in the leader role, but oftentimes I'm waiting for just one person to do something ahead of me, and then I'll have the confidence to go next. And you do a great job of showing up that way in your work. And it's just been so lovely. Thank you for being on the show, opening up this conversation with me and the listener and all the great work that you do. So for anyone who wants to take the quiz and learn more about Jen and tap into their 80-year-old self, please check out the website, which is linked in the description. So there's two places to make it super easy. One is on your podcast player. If you if you look at see more, more detail or whatever, you can expand to see the full description. There'll be a link there. And then two is in the show notes, as I mentioned earlier, at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, also linked in the description for you. And there's a full blog post transcript with all the quotes and all the links. Everything we've explored today is there in one place to make it really easy for you. And I really hope you will check out Jen's work after listening to this. Thanks again, Jen, for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.